Hello. Ready to have some fun? Derek, can you hear me? Caleb, can you hear me? Jared, can you hear me? Ah, see, now you got the hot spot. Hey, grace to you. If you're a follower of Christ, grace to you. God's unfathomable, undeserved grace for those deserving only wrath. Just no matter what your performance was today, man, he's crazy about you. Crazy about you. Grace to you. Well, I'm Chuck. It's my wife, Lindy. We've been married uh, for three or four years, about 22. Yeah. We have three children, 21, 19, and 16. And uh, good thing we're not talking about dating. Our story is real quick. We dated and broke up three times. Uh, and then I proposed five weeks after the third breakup, and we got married three months later. And so marriage has been a whole lot different than our dating. So don't ask us anything about dating except what not to do, and it was all my fault. So we have plenty to say about that. We have plenty to say about that. So anyway, now we're, we're thrilled to be here uh, to talk about marriage because I love being married. I love this girl. And um, I won't leave that. You know this, but it's important to start with marriage is God's idea, which means God has lots of ideas for it. It has lots of purposes for it, and they are awesome, and they are beautiful, and they are wonderful, and it was designed to be one of the most intimate, safest, exhilarating, thrilling, healing, productive, fruitful things on the planet. Marriage was God's idea, and it's not just God's idea, but it was a good idea, and it was especially good for me. I was listening to a guy give a talk on marriage about three, two, two months ago in Memphis to a bunch of church planters, and as he's going through some of the stuff we're going to share tonight, it was so impactful for me, even after being married for 22 years, it was so fresh. But I sat there, and his tears started rolling down my face, and it was as he was talking to these young Snotty nose, you know, 30, 35-year-old church planters, you know the type. And uh, our guys weren't there, but uh, they're, they're on an advanced track. But anyway, it just dawned on me how marriage has been like, other than getting to meet Jesus, is the highlight of my life. I began to reflect over a hard season we went through beginning in 2011, and, and her mom and dad died at the age of 65, 66, really young. Uh, three months apart, then my dad died, then I had a heart attack, changed jobs, went through some brokenness, broken relationships, found out I was pretty unhealthy as a person. Uh, Lindy began to have surgery. She had a double mastectomy, complete hysterectomy, a bunch of, uh, what are those things called? Restorative surgeries. That's not the right word. That's close enough. And it was a hard three or four years. Meanwhile, we were raising three teenagers trying to figure out that little puzzle. Still trying to figure that one out. Our three wonderful kids. And that's what I thought about when he was teaching about marriage. It's like, oh, God, marriage has been, for me, God's grace, an anchor, a, a foundation. And, and it was just so, I was so thankful uh, and just teared up about how great marriage has been for me. And it's by God's grace. And that's what marriage is supposed to be. And I'm grateful that I've got to taste that, experience that, and want to share a few things about that. Um, yet as awesome as marriage is supposed to be, often it's not so awesome, right? 
the deal is it can be so awesome because marriage is where you get intimate, where you get two people really, really, really close, right? In the same bathroom, you know, same bed, in all sorts of circumstances. There's so much closeness that what happens is one of two things. Either magic happens or the tragic happens, right? And some of both. But that's why so many bad things have gone on. One of the one man commenting, an older man to this younger generation, I heard recently said this, that's so tragic about marriage. He said it this way, most men in our country have already left their marriages emotionally, and most women dream about leaving their marriage. Most men have already left it emotionally. And what he was saying is actually most men actually want to stay in their marriage, but they, they don't want to be in it emotionally. And, and so men act out more, but they actually want to stay in the marriage. But women act out less while wanting to leave the marriage. That's tragic, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And that's what we're here tonight, to give hope. Tonight's about hope. And so if you're, I mean, I'm in, in a weird way, I hope, if you are here and you're in the middle of a tragic season, it's not going well, and, and you as a man are already thinking about it emotionally, have already left your marriage emotionally, and you're here just maybe on a latch effort, or, or you as a woman, or that's your daydreaming about how to get away from this person if he doesn't radically change overnight. If, if you're in that tragic situation, I just want you to know that there's hope. We have hope because Jesus specializes in resurrections. He knows how to take dead things and bring them to life, including your marriage, including our souls. And so this is just a, a word about hope. And tonight's also about help. This whole workshop's about help. These are events. But get help. You've got godly elders, godly MC leaders, and you've got a great, perfect God. So go run for the help you need. So simply tonight, we're going to go to the Scriptures. I'm going to teach you three perspectives on marriage, side by side, face to face, and back to back. I don't know where those originally came from. But uh, we've had a lot of fun teaching them in a, uh, to a premarital couple recently and just working through this together. And it's been very helpful for us. And so I gave them to you in a, a fairly substantial outline for a reason. Um, and that is, so you can take it home. And your homework, when you leave tonight, is going to be dig back over this together. I wanted you to have it. I wanted you to see it. I wanted you to, to be able to practice it and discuss it. And like every good Christian, you uh, teach it to somebody. Teach it in your fight clubs. Teach it to somebody. And you just have a little outline to teach if it's helpful to you. If it if that gun fits your bullet, pull the trigger. That's what I'm saying. And if none of any of that interests you, tonight I'm going to teach you seven different biblical reasons to have lots of sex. Okay? And I'm not joking. So, let's get going. I am. Si right? True? But is that true? Yeah. It's in the notes. So, first marriage first there's probably other perspectives first one is side by side which features productivity captured in a word it's productive god invented marriage to make adam and eve more productive together in his kingdom than they could be all alone so we'll look at one verse um in genesis 2 18 you've heard it jared megan did a great job talking about it we're going to talk about it a little bit more it's not good that the man should be alone I will make a, him a helper uh, fit for him. Notice what he didn't say, okay? This is the first place where God begins um, 
to solve a problem, and this is the first problem God's going to solve with marriage, even before the fall, because he said it's a problem. It's not good. So what's the first thing? He didn't say, he may will in other places in Scripture, but this Scripture, he did not say first, hey, the problem is he's alone, and I'm going to make him a best friend. Marriage is about being best friend, but that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not the first thing God addressed. And he also didn't say, hey, you're alone, and I'm going to make you a romantic lover. That is part of marriage, but that's not what this text says. No, he goes, it's bad, not good that the man should be alone, and I'll make him a helper. And Jared Megan talked about this, a helper. It's not an inferior servant, but a strong companion that enables productivity and victory. He's saying, Adam, I'm going to give you a strong companion, an equal, that enables productivity and victory. So again, the first, pro- first problem, am I yelling? I'm just excited. Am I too loud? <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, as long as... Okay. That's my excitement. Okay, you be my litmus, Gary. I trust you. I trust you. So, the first problem, and we can debate this later because some of you probably don't agree with this. That's okay. The first problem God was solving in marriage wasn't relational loneliness. Didn't say he's alone, so he just didn't want to be alone anymore. Let's give him a, just a friend. That's important, but that's not what this text says. He wasn't just solving first relational loneliness, but kingdom fruitlessness. He was saying, let's be productive. So, marriage is missional. And in the south, the church doesn't even know it's missional, so it's hard for pastors and teachers and disciple makers to teach that it's missional. And I had a whole rant that is probably not appropriate for tonight about that because we need to wake up here in the south to be the people of God who are saved by the power of God, right? And dwelt with the very spirit of God and sent out for the purposes of God. But in other words, he didn't send us here just to hang out and have a good time. He created us and created marriage for a purpose. And it's his idea. Now, what I'm going to do for you, ladies and gentlemen, right now is going to introduce to you the one person on the planet that read every marriage book in print by the time they were 25, and that's my wife, Lindy. And she's going to show you how this word helper just really explodes into really a lot of practical insights for your life. It is pretty much true. And uh, God knew she was going to need it, being married to me. So anyway, Lindy, clean up my mess. Be my helper, my side-by-side companion, and teach him what it looks like to be a helper. I'll do my best. Um, really what I want to start with by saying is this is sort of just like a mini um, sidebar on biblical womanhood. And um, so before you can really understand the word that the Lord's using here, helper, you have to really take into context what else he's said about women so far uh, in the scriptures. And so when you look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28, he's giving this mandate to them. And he says, um, let's look at uh, 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so on and so forth. So this is the mandate he's given. And so the first thing he's saying here is that man and woman were both made in God's image. And we can't bypass that. 
the word image actually means statue. Um, so we're actually little replicas of who God is on his created earth, little action figures. And so we are the only authorized, tangible representation of what God is like here on earth. And with the understanding of that, that we're his image bearers, comes the truth that we are of incalculable value because of who we model. And so that right there just gives us both, men and women, intrinsic value of who we are modeling and therefore our value as people. And so the next thing that he's saying here is that he's given both men and women a work to do. And the mandate in verse 26 is for both of them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. So we've both given, been given do, domains over which to rule, subdue, and produce for him. And so to rule simply means to be a decision maker. You're to view yourself as a manager with authority. To subdue means to bring under control by conquest and to keep under control by diligent maintenance. And to be fruitful or to produce involves bringing value to everything that you do. And so in giving us this job, God made us his viceroys or his ambassadors, so to speak, who are responsible for this work capable to do this work and have been given authority to carry out this mission. And he's going to hold us accountable for it. And so when he gave this mandate, there wasn't any brokenness yet in the world, but he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. And as we seek to rule and subdue and produce in the domains that each he's called us each to, um, he knew that we were going to be doing it in our fallen state. And he knew that that would drive us to him. So as we seek to be responsible in our specific circumstances, we also have to recognize our dependence upon him. And we have to seek him to do or allow him to accomplish those purposes in us. And so the point I'm trying to bring to light here is I need you to understand your value. And I need you to understand that you have been given a work to do, to rule, subdue, and produce. This is a picture of strength and dignity, ladies. This comes before the helper. And you need to understand that they go hand in hand together. And so in order to understand the helper aspect, you need to understand that Adam was given the job of naming the animals before Eve came. And so here he is, he's going around, he's naming all these animals, as as other people have talked about, and they come in pairs. And it had to be obvious to him um, that there wasn't a pair for him. And I can sort of just imagine sort of that he probably maybe had a conversation with God about it. Like, what I've got? Um, I've got fellowship with you, and I've got fellowship with the animals, but there's no one like me. And, in fact, Scripture says that as well. It says there was not a helper found suitable for him. And so this brings us to the truth that while men and women are so much alike, there are some very real differences. And so... um, The first difference we see is even how we were made by God. Man was created from the earth and was then brought to the earth in the garden, and he began his work there. Woman was created from the man, brought to the man, and began her work there side by side, by his side. Let me say that again. Man, woman was created from, uh, man was created from the earth for the earth, and woman was created from the man for the man. 
We read in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, is what it said, to work it and to keep it. So man was first created to cultivate, and second, he was to keep and maintain. And so he was given a job to do that really he couldn't do by himself. Uh, The Lord had created him a cultivator, but he also asked him to keep it. And um, when God made woman and brought her to the man, he provided him a completing helper. Because she was specifically equipped to do what he was not suited to do. Together, they could do the work that God had for them. So, in fact, even right after that, this is when he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So that's your first clue of why it wasn't good. The job was too big for him to do alone. It was too big. He needed a helper to do it well. And so, in fact, you just to illustrate this, just look at history, you guys. It's typically the men, uh, when you think about the, the West, when we came to America, it was the men, typically, that went out to the West, and they conquered those territories, and they went out there. And the women stayed back, and they maintained, and they kept what had already been conquered. There's value in that. In fact, you look at the Wild West and all the stories that go around there, it was chaos. It was chaos until the women showed up. It was when the women showed up that the schools were made, the churches were made, the culture was brought, the towns were formed. We bring beauty and value when we show up, ladies. And when the women came, they completed the work of the man. So, whoops, this is the backside. Um, So I just want to point out one more thing about that, you guys. Um, There is equal value in getting and keeping, in starting and completing. To illustrate this, there's a, a, a passage in 1 Samuel 30, and it's about David, and his camp had been robbed, had been plundered. And so he sent out 400 men to go get the stuff back. And he left 200 men basically to stay with the, stay with the luggage, uh, to stay with what was left. And so when the 400 men came back with what they retrieved, They, some of them, um, and the scripture actually refers to them as wicked men, uh, said that the the ones who stayed back should not get the same reward as those who went out. They were saying that going out is more valuable than staying back. But the Bible says no. King David said no. He made a standing ordinance from that point out that said the share of those who go out to battle is the same as the one who stays with the luggage. And they shall share alike. The truth is that conquering and maintaining are of equal value. There is more that can be said about the helping aspect of a woman, but I'm emphasizing the point tonight that women bring great value by keeping what has been produced. We add value by completing the works which men start, especially as we produce children and build our individual families and homes. It's on the home which entire civilizations exist. And it's men and women working together to produce beautiful things and spaces and relationships that reflect the image of God for his glory. Amen. Amen. Right. And so, I mean, the rest of the Bible has this picture that often is lost. I bet if I had a show of hand and offered, uh, you know, all the money about I mean, how many times have you been taught that this is a very important first primary, not the only, but a primary part. We're, we're to be productive, married. So when God created us as, like, I forgot you used a fancy word, but, I mean, basically, they were to co-labor with God, vice regents. You said viceroy. Viceroy. Yeah, that's viceroy. awesome. That's awesome. You're good. 
So anyway, the rest of the Bible is filled with it. I got a couple and I cut out most of them for time. But even in Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, it's the longest passage of a you know, productive marriage. It's about the excellent wife. If you could summarize Proverbs 31, it says she was faithfully productive. She was a teacher of wisdom to her kids, a hard worker, effective manager, savvy businesswoman, kind teacher of wisdom, dispenser of compassionate mercy, who enabled her husband to be at the city gates among the elders of the land, promoting justice and mercy within a flourishing economy. So it goes on and on and on. But for each of these, we're going to move on. So we've got a little motto for each of you, and we'll illustrate for each of these to remember. So side-by-side marriage, right? Here we are, side-by-side, and there's a motto. Okay. I I need you. I can help you. I need you. I can help you. Everybody stand up. Side by side. Hold hands. Stand up. Okay, listen. Men. Men, look your wife in the eye and say, I need you. Wives, look, say, I can help you. Yeah, one more time. Men? Okay, good. Now, hey, listen to this. Stay there. Stay standing. Stay side by side because really this is a, a biblical picture of one of the perspectives of marriage, side by side. The, the Bible uses this term yoked all the way through the Scripture. So feel this as you're standing there side by side and yoked. A very famous passage. What God has yoked together, let no man separate. A yoke was a wooden apparatus, a tool used by a farmer to bring together two beasts of burden in hopes that the two would accomplish more together than they would apart. All of you, as you stand side by side, were meant to be more productive and fruitful together than apart as you learn to work together and accept your, uh, each of your roles. Okay? You can sit down now. So, this one is going to be the longest of the three. Don't panic. We're going to finish on time. Don't worry. Um, but for it, th- this one has uh, one of the seven pictures uh, of, of, that sex gives of marriage. And this is a side-by-side productivity. It's the obvious one. As Adam was probably, I think Genesis probably happened more than just a few hours. You know, I would be, I think probably it happened a long time. In other words, he sat there and watched all these animals two by two, not just march in front of them and get named, but actually produce and have kids. And he's like figuring out, oh man, I really can't do that alone. That's for sure. And so, but that's procreation. Having kids is an obvious picture of productivity, right? That's bearing fruit in the ultimate sense. But it's, it's, so it's. It's missionally productive to have kids. You can't fill the earth with two people. The earth's bigger than that. But then for every one of these pictures of sex, it also pictures something more full about kingdom work. And, and, you know, just having kids, just being fruitful, just says as a couple, you're supposed to be fruitful. And your home is to provide lots of shade and hospitality for a lot more than just your immediate family. And that's all through the scriptures. Even uh, any doctors, nurses in here, we get a little anatomy, you know, uh, next thing there, it's on your sheet. Our anatomy pictures this well. The actual word male in Genesis means piercer and female pierced one. And so you see how that's just a pretty good picture. It kind of takes two. They kind of fit. It just kind of works, you know. God knows what he's doing, okay? 
and let that sink in. So, for each of these also, I want to show you how the gospel motivates side-by-side marriage. So a little shortening and a paraphrase of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. You know, the gospel says, Jesus speaking, come to me and yoke with me. I'll do all the heavy lifting and we can be productive together, right? Jesus says, come to me. He used that same term, yoked. So now we're yoked together, and then our marriage, we get to be yoked with Jesus. And he gets to do all the heavy lifting. He says, let's go do something with our life. Don't just hang out and play. We're here for a purpose and meaning to spread this goodness, this goodness, this grace to more and more people. So that's how the gospel motivates marriage, because Jesus says, hey, come yoke with me, and I'll do the work. And so the work of this fruit bearing, this root of uh, this uh, fruit of productivity that side by side marriage is he's still if we come to him together he's the one that produces the fruit through us so um, Lenny's going to give us a couple of examples of how practically the side by side marriage has worked out in our life yeah so um, one of the ways that Chuck has led us uh, and I would encourage you man this is a no brainer guys this is a no brainer If you want to lead in your homes, this is an easy way to do it on a weekly basis. And that is simply the calendar talk. It's the calendar talk. Your calendar, think about it. It represents so much of your domains of what the Lord's called you to. It's on your calendar. It reveals how and where you're spending your time. It shows what relationships you're investing in. It shows where you're spending your money because of where you're spending your time. Uh, So many of the domains that you have are listed right there on your calendar. Uh, and so one of the things that we try to do is to um, have a regular calendar talk. And we've done this formally uh, at our kitchen table. And we've also done it way on the fly, over the phone, uh, in the car. Uh, it's not about perfection. It's about production. Uh, and so it's just get it done. And so um, the way we do this is we typically both show up and we try to have already have our stuff on the calendar, on our own individual calendars. Uh, the ball schedules, the school schedules, the church calendar, um, job schedules, just anything that's coming up, we tend to have all that on there on each of our calendars. And then we just um, we bring them together and make sure that everybody has all the things on there so that when different opportunities arise... We can look at that, and we can see, okay, here's on this thing. What's around that? Um, how is that going to cost our family? How is that going to serve our family? Um, and then we will, as, if he gets an opportunity to serve or do something somewhere, or if I get an opportunity to serve or do something somewhere, um, we can then discuss it, and we can bring it before the Lord and each other and with intentionality, with purpose. And sometimes we'll table it right then. And uh, then we just, um, you know, each will process it and we'll pray over it. And then we can come back together and say, you know what, even though that is going to cost us, that will be the fourth thing that week, I really feel like that that fits in with what we're trying to do as a family. And I feel like the Spirit's calling us to that. And so I'm willing to make those costs. Do you see how that could head off some tension in the home? Do you get that? And so also the same thing of that's a really good thing but it's not best for us. So sometimes we come back to either thing, but just having everything out there and knowing what all the pieces and parts are is a huge piece to the puzzle in anticipating each other's um, events and that kind of thing. So the other thing that's come up in this is um, we've discovered as we calendar that he is the gas and I am the brakes. And so if you think about a car, uh, if it's all gas, well, that's just a disaster. And uh, if it's uh, all brakes, well, that's ineffective. 
And so he is always wanting to say yes to everything. And I typically want to stay home. And so um, when we bring that together before uh, in these calendar chalks, we make each other better. Uh, because then we're bringing it before the Lord. And it's not personal preference. It's what is the Lord calling us to? What is the Lord inviting us into as we look at these different opportunities that are coming our way? And so um, one final note that I will say that's practically played out in our home um, is back when our kids were little. And I debate about whether I'm sharing this, but it's something. And so back when our kids were little, I was a stay-at-home mama at the time. And um, Chuck was a pastor. And so he would get all sorts of opportunities to go and um, do things uh, and to build relationships with people and to minister and this kind of thing. And... Um, I was at home with the kids. I was at home keeping what we had produced. And um, so the choice is, back then, the choice was I can, um, and there were certain, and I'll get to that. The choice for me was I chose, uh, by God's grace, uh, to choose to partner with him and to view myself and to have that attitude that I am a partner in ministry. And what I am doing is just as valuable as what he is out there doing. These are our children, this is our home, and I'm building a civilization here. Um, and to see the value in what I'm doing by staying back. Now, Chuck also has had a huge passion to develop me as a woman. And so even when our kids were little, uh, sometimes he would have to drag me to do that just because of my personality, but to push me into opportunities that came to me. And so then he chose to stay with the kids so that I could go out and have room to, to breathe and grow and have space to do those kinds of things. And so it's an attitude of this part of keeping kids is valuable. Uh, it's just as valuable um, as the sexy ministry opportunity. Yeah. And definitely side by side, I'm a way better parent. I got a lot of stories there. Side by side, I'm a way better leader. She's a lot more discerning. She gets the room. I'm just plowing ahead. She, she gets the temperature uh, side by side. I'm a much uh, wiser person. Consult with her wisdom constantly. Every major mistake I've ever been a part of, whether on a ministry team or personally, if I had asked, I'm talking about the big ones. If I'd asked my wife, I'd have done it but a lot differently. I'm much better. I'm much wiser when I tap into her wisdom. And side by side, I make far fewer mistakes as we go at life together. So, side by side, I'm much more productive. So now turn for a couple minutes, and men, the first application question just to discuss, because, uh, hey, how many of you have kids? Raise your hand. Okay. Good job. You've already, you've already been successful and productive, just like God intended. But, man, where have you initiated, and where might you initiate kingdom work you and your wife could do together? Just talk about that for a couple of minutes, and then go ahead when you... then. Well, well, we'll transition you to the second question. Just stay on that question that we transition you. Okay, that's the first perspective of marriage. Side by side, the motto for the men is? Ladies? I can help you. Now, we obviously know it's true that you both need each other, but that's not what this perspective or this passage is talking about. You're a helper, so you can help. So men... Initiate. Be a piercer, both sexually and in life. That's your job. Initiate. 
Let's move on to the face-to-face, the second persp- a second perspective. Like I said, there's not just three, but we're just talking about three tonight. Uh, face-to-face marriage, captured in the word. This one is intimacy, deep relational friendship, relational intimacy. Again, one verse I want to highlight a couple phrases from is Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Naked. What's it God trying to communicate there? To be naked is to be fully seen. No secrets, no hiding, vulnerable, exposed, intimate. And yet, despite being exposed and revealed, neither the man nor the wife, who were both naked, neither was ashamed. That's pretty profound, especially in our experience now when we get exposed, we go to shame a lot. Why were they not ashamed? I've been thinking a lot about this the last 48 hours. I think that at least a big part of it is they were naked. They weren't ashamed. They weren't ashamed, not because it's anything they did, but it's something they perceived about how they were being seen. They were naked. They were fully seen, and they had confidence that both God and each other were seeing them and delighting in what they saw accepting what they saw and then innately and that's why they were naked and not ashamed because of the way they were perceived accurately as being acceptable and so they knew who they were they were full of life and vigor because they had nothing to hold back on they were able to go for it they knew they belonged they knew they mattered they they knew that they were enough and that's one of the just tragedies of sin and the fall how as soon as the fall came in that relationship was shattered and shame just rushed in to fill that void that plagues every one of us every day it's it's a horribly deep problem and so um because sin just clouds who we are sin help tries to convince us we're not enough or we don't matter right And here's what's important to understand about this. One of our biggest fears is being rejected. So what sin does, now we get exposed and naked and intimate and vulnerable and fully seen. We hide. And now that ruins relationship because you're not really relating. You're not present. You're not honest. And one of your biggest fears, all of us, is to being rejected. And so we pretend and we perform. There's a lot there. And so one of our basic needs is that we need to know and feel safe that we're not rejected, that we're accepted. Sin causes us to be seen and feel not safe. This is one of the beautiful things about marriage couples. Guess what? You get to be part of the Holy Spirit's work of healing shame. Very simply, by being married. Because like I said, married, you're close. It can either be magic or tragic. And here's where just relational harmony and magic can happen. It's your high privilege to meet deep needs in your mate. Now because of the fall, when we see each other, here's the tricky part. We do see clearly both the brokenness and the beauty in our mate. Any bonehead can see the, any person or any circumstance in the world and find what's wrong with it. That takes no skill or wisdom. My kids have mastered that, okay? Anyone can see and comment on what's wrong. It takes grace and gospel eyes to see the beautiful and the broken and respond appropriately and not just be critical and blaming. 
And so it's our high privilege to meet and help heal the shame day after day as we see the beauty and brokenness and keep giving acceptance, keep giving love. Face-to-face intimacy is I see your beauty and your brokenness, and I still want you. I see your beauty and your brokenness, and I accept you. I see your beauty and your brokenness, and you matter, and you belong to me. I see your beauty and your brokenness, but you're safe. I'm not going anywhere because of your brokenness. You're mine. God gave you to me, and you're mine. You're mine. What an incredible opportunity is we are tender and accepting of the beauties and the brokenness. I promise you this acceptance day after day heals shame slowly but surely. So the motto is for this face-to-face marriage, look at this. I see you. I see you. Yeah. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Men, repeat after me. First of all, before you say anything, listen for a second. What does that, you don't have to say it out loud. What does that feel? Stay here now. Don't look at me. Look at your, look at your spouse. Hand in hand, eye to eye. What does that feel like? Okay, now men, men, give the motto. I see you. And ladies. I see you. Okay, you can sit down. You can sit down. So the side-by-side marriage is, I need you, I can help you. The face-to-face is, I see you. I see you and I accept you. I see you and I don't reject you. Okay, this of the three pictures, four different ways sex pictures this face-to-face marriage. Okay, the first is simple pleasure and exhilaration. This is going to challenge some of your puny, awful views of God, okay? Sex is for having Fun in the presence of God. Fun in the presence of God is His gift to you. The proverb speaks of married sex as rejoicing, delight, and intoxication. It's awesome. This Proverbs 30, 18 to 20 says, There are three things too wonderful for me, four which I do not understand. The way of the eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. If you, if you want to have a 15 minutes of gospel meditation, you just, I would be curious to see what you come up with if you see what is in common about the eagle in the sky, the serpent on the rock, ship in the sea, and a man with his lover. I'll just leave that there for your own Holy Spirit-induced meditation. But I want to tell you, it's good. <laughs> the second way... Uh, these were related, but they are distinct. Four-way sex pictures, this, the um, face-to-face marriage. Second is intimacy. Because again, just like I said, we can heal shame through relationship. Now with this intimacy, I see and accept you physically. And I receive you. I see, you know, we have both surgeries and scars and we're older. And we see. And we see the beauty and the brokenness, even physically. But sex draws us together, not apart. And so we receive, we see and receive each other, literally into each other, into our bodies. And so this is why the, you know, our relational, emotional, spiritual, sexual life are often connected. In fact, if, if 
For couples that lack a great sexual intimacy, it may be an, it may be an indicator of a lack of spiritual intimacy. And again, there's hope and there's help and you should go seek it because sex is a good gift of God you're meant to enjoy. Third, love formation and love expression. The actual coming together, in you come together in love, but it actually then grows your love. It's about love formation. It builds love. Making love builds love, and couples who love make love. Preach it. Preach it. <laughs> Amen. Then redemption. Redemption. In this intimate situation, it's kind of what's talking about the healing of shame. Often one or both have experienced huge sexual brokenness in their past. And it may not be easy at first. This may take a lot of time. But worshipful sex seeks to gently redeem sexuality, showing care and tenderness toward past sin and failures and their lingering consequences. Sex is pleasurable, intimate, love-forming, and redeeming. Amen? There's five. We've got a couple more to go in a minute. But there's five of the pictures of sex and how the intimate marriage is intimately tied. So one of the ways uh, that the gospel motivates this type of um, face-to-faceness is that obviously God sees uh, all of you, as we've already talked about. There's no dark corner of your heart. There's nothing that surprises him or shocks him by you. There's nothing. It's all out there. He sees all of your brokenness, and he moves towards us with delight and acceptance. And he constantly moves towards us. He never holds back. He never holds back. He's always moving towards us. And so one of the ways um, that this has played out in our marriage um, is um, I can remember, well, what you need to know is I grew up in a, not a perfect home, but it was a fairly healthy home, if I'm being honest. Um, I had two parents that deeply loved Jesus. And um, they really loved each other. And I can't speak about them without weeping. I do it every time. <laughs> Anyways, and they loved us girls. And um, so I came into marriage, I mean, not perfect. I was still broken. But I came from a healthy background. And that just helps people. And um, it was still, though, uh, two and a half years into marriage um, where we're driving down the road. And I've already committed myself to this person. You'd think this thought would have occurred to me before now. But two and a half years in, we're driving down Airport Boulevard, and I am just overcome with the thought that I am safe with him, that he is my best friend, and that I can truly be me. And here it is just at two and a half years. You can imagine at 22 years later, and this is not because we have been perfect with each other. It's because we've been imperfect with each other. We have sinned against each other over and over and over, and that is your moment. That's your moment. It takes time and tenderness when you've been sinned against or when you have, have uh, sinned yourself against your mate. It's in that moment that you can offer tenderness and safety to your mate. And you can create this culture of intimacy. That's your moment. So another thing that I'd say that um, the Lord's been gracious to us is Chuck heard this question and he brought it back to us for our calendar talk. And that is we try to ask, we don't do it every week, but we try to ask, what do you need from me this week? Our culture does not value neediness. 
Uh, we don't want to be needy. So to look at your mate in the face, and I'm telling you all, it's uncomfortable because it's deeply vulnerable to say, what do you need from me? And then you have to answer. Uh, and it's gone from anything from, I really need you to change that light bulb from two weeks ago, to um, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling afraid and I'm feeling guilt about this one particular yeah, thing. And I need you to help me figure out what's going on there this week. Do you see how that instantly makes us present with each other? And that instantly connects us with that vulnerability and that intimacy? What do we need from me this week? So that's just two ways that we felt it in our marriage. So I always ask first, what do you need from me? And then she gets around to asking, um, Chuck, what do you need from me? I always look, I smile, and I say, I just need one thing. <laughs> That's not a joke written for this material, is it? That was, that was fresh. <laughs> What'd she say? It was, it was fresh. It's not, oh, not, a, not in the notes. Not no. in the notes. And um, just for me, I grew up in a different, uh, just how this face-to-face intimacy has been good for me. Like I said, we dated and broke up three times. I'm the one that did the breaking up. I'm, you know, and, and I, I was a mess. And, um, I mean, I know who I was or what I was doing. Um, and I grew up at home, my dad told me he loved me one time. So I came from a place of deficit. And so this girl I'd broken with three times who had no business still being willing to marry me when I came to my senses has over and over, through dating and through marriage, been the clearest picture on earth of God's unconditional love for me. And so she is the gospel incarnate and models that. And so that's how the face-to-face intimacy has grown for us. So, application question time. So, do you need to ask for forgiveness at anything in this point in the evening? Okay, to be fair, we're going to let you take this question and the next one home. The Holy Spirit needs to lead you in both of them, but the second question is that y'all need to discuss what would it look like for you to plan for and have lots of sex? That's part of marriage, so. So we'll let y'all talk more about that at home. I just wanted to, wanted to get y'all thinking about that. And um, finish up with a third perspective on marriage, okay? It's the uh, back-to-back marriage. So we've had the purpose, one-word summary of side-by-side marriage is what? Productivity. And the motto is what? I need you and I can help you. And the face-to-face marriage. What's the one word summary? Intimacy. Intimacy. And what's the motto? I see you. I see you. And I'm not going anywhere. This one. What's the, uh, the captured in one word is protection. Back to back. What's the weakest part of you? Your back. Why do people, you ever heard the phrase? Oh, he stabbed me in the back. It's because it's the weakest. It's the unguarded. The phrase blindsided. Because the back, so one this third perspective of marriage is all about protection. It's about protecting the back, and and really this is this is a back-to-back marriage. Another word could be allies, because when you ally with somebody, army to army or company to company, you see each other's weaknesses. But what an ally does is choose not to use the weaknesses they see against you. That's what marriage is about. You you're back to back. You're going to protect weaknesses, not expose weaknesses. And the big arching overall question that you need to ask yourself constantly about back to back marriage is this. 
does your spouse have to expend any emotional energy wondering if you're for them? Does your spouse, when y'all are apart, or when you're together, have to spend any emotional energy wondering if you're for them? Are they suspicious of you? Do you take advantage of their weaknesses? And without going into detail, or to just gen- the scriptures show two major failures for failure to protect. One is Adam in the garden. Again, first talk, and I think Adam said they're going to put these talks up. Jared making it a good job on this one. Great job about how Adam's failure. He failed to have Eve's back when the temptation come, came, right? Failed to have her back. He was passive. He didn't initiate. He didn't step in with the Word of God and protect his lady. You know, but fortunately, God gave him a second chance after he didn't uh, have a good back to back marriage. And so God came to him. He says, what happened? And so Adam, with a second chance, you know what he did? Oh, God, it's the woman you gave. That's the problem. So, okay, well, I guess glad thing we have third chances. So Adam blew his first two. He didn't protect his lady. And then he went to blame his lady. And then for you ladies in Proverbs seven, um, there's this just really vivid picture of a woman who failed her husband. He's out working and conquering the world. You know what she does? She turns prostitute and has men in her house and has sex with them. That's not protecting her husband's back. So you see these failures on those, um, on those levels. So the vision of a back-to-back marriage is being allies, protection. Not being blind to weaknesses, but knowing weaknesses and choosing not to use them. So the motto here is, I have your back. Hold on. Okay. Stand up. Stand up. But don't go back to back yet. First, I want you to take turns just, uh, ladies, look at your husband's back first, where he can't see you. So husbands, turn away. What does that feel like, men? She have a knife in her hand or she have a smile on her face? He's vulnerable. He can't see you. Do you trust her not to hurt you when you can't see her? Now flip it around. Husbands, look at your wife's back. Now she's vulnerable. Are you going to hurt her? Are you going to run away? Does she trust you not to hurt her? Now turn back to back. Back to back. Here's what, yeah, go ahead and say the motto. Men first, I have your back. Ladies, I mean, think about it. So you've got their back and you're protecting. I mean, you're just scouring the world. Nothing, your job is to let nothing get to your spouse's weakness. Nothing. You're going to protect them physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. You've got their back. They're weak, they're susceptible to failure. And so we need to say, I've got your back. So sit down for a sec. Two ways, sex pictures, back-to-back marriage about protection. One is uh, clearly that proactive married sex provides protection against temptation to sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5 say this spot on. 
In verse 5 it says, Do not deprive one another of sex, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. If you're not having a lot of sex, you better be having a lot of praying, the Scripture says. (laughs) But it says... Then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay? That's one reason. is protection from sexual temptation. This is a very important concept about sex, too. Y'all all know that are married that, um, I mean, all sex is good sex in my book. But there's also a wide variety of qualities of experiences. Right? And I think that's okay. God designed sometimes sex to be efficient and quick. Now, think about some of these other purposes. Sometimes it's supposed to be not efficient, but extravagant. Remember, it's the fun piece, but some of them are more practical. I mean, serious about that. that. That will help change your sex life, not to think that they all have to be the best ever. Because the bad ones are pretty dang good, okay? <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least for me, okay? A second reason, uh, way sex pictures back to back. And that's, this one's really interesting. This one's new to me recently, it's, and it's so true. It's consolation. You see, we're weak, and we live in a horrible, harsh world. And so one purpose of sex, we can protect each other from despair in a cruel and broken world. Sex can be comforting and consoling in the midst of trial, grief, and loss. Oh, seriously, there's seven different, if you turn the diamond, I mean, there's lots of reasons. And just think about it. What a God. I mean, he, he could have met those needs in lots of ways, but that says a lot about the character of my God. At times, man, make it extravagant. And sometimes, just being efficient just is all you need. Okay? The gospel motivates back-to-back marriages is because God says, I know your weakness. And he says, I will never use it against you. I will never condemn you for your weaknesses. Rather, I'm going to protect you from all that would attack you. In fact, Jesus sees your weaknesses. And you know what he did? He covered you. He covered you at the cross. Well, I lost my notes, but I know what I'm going to say. Jesus sees your weakness. He wraps his arm around your back. He faces the enemy in the wrath of God, and he says, bring it. The wrath of God comes that I deserve on my back to kill me and separate him forever. And he took it, bam, in an instant on a cross on Calvary. He protected my weakness, and he took it. That's how God protects our weakness. He took it all away. There's absolutely no wrath left off. I mean, left for you. The Father can smile and open His arms to you every day. That's the gospel motivation. To live side by side and not see your spouse's weaknesses as something to pick at. But to protect. You've got weaknesses. Do you want them picking at you? God doesn't pick. Treat your spouse the way God's treated you. Ephesians 4, forgive as God has forgiven you. Ephesians 5, 1, love as God has loved you. And so the gospel-rich marriage, you learn, oh my gosh, God has got my back. And he's absorbed all of the wrath for my sins. Can I have... Mm-hmm. What did I skip? 
You did? No, that was it. I think that's just where I'm just going to say, since God has our back, we can have each other's. And one of the ways that you can do that, y'all, is we're not saying that you don't ever have conversations about your weaknesses. In fact, that's one of the ways that you can have your spouse's back, is to tenderly, gently, and after much prayer, uh, go to your spouse and speak with them about a weakness that you see that's going to head off destruction for them or failure for them, or um, hurt for them, or for other people that they're uh, relating to. That's a form of protection. So we're not saying don't ever just talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, that's having their back as well. And so the other parts that, we, that are just marriage 101, you guys, uh, as far as protecting uh, your mate, is don't speak negatively about them in public. Just don't do it. Never should there be a circumstance where you're in a group with your girlfriends or your guy friends and you're speaking negatively about your spouse. Don't do it. Second thing of it is, is um, don't be alone with a member of the opposite sex. Don't do it. Somebody's got to swing by your house for drop off something, take care of it on the porch. You got to go somewhere on a work trip, take your own car. Don't be alone with a member of the opposite sex. It's 101, people. Uh, There's a reason teenagers want to get in the car with each other. It's an intimate space. Don't get alone in the car with somebody of an opposite sex. Um, Do speak positive things about them. Uh, As Chuck said, it's the easiest thing in the world to find something wrong with somebody. If you have a good thought about your mate, if you see the tiniest little thing that's encouraging, say it to them. It's life to them. Um, I can think about um, when you're at a dinner party sometime and the girls are in one room and the guy's in another room and I can hear Chuck say my name, how your ears pick up. He just said my name. You know what I'm saying? How you just, it just intrinsically, have you been in that moment? And then you hear life come after that? People, say the positive things. Um... And then obviously, um, another don't, if you are involved um, in pornography, um, know that that um, is an area that the Lord can redeem. You're not alone. Um, There are many people um, that are bound by that, and there is hope uh, to bring about resurrection in that dead area. Yeah. Well, our time is up, so I'm going to go through my other mini-sermon on that. But I will say one thing. One major way that you can protect your wife's weakness is simply pray for them like crazy. Make them avoid. It's in the Lord's Prayer, right? It's kind of in there. Pray for them. And so when you go home tonight, think about which of these aspects of marriage that you really want to focus on first. You're probably not going to focus on all three. But again, these application questions sound a lot alike, and they are. And I've already asked it once, but ask yourself honestly, is your spouse having to spend any emotional energy wondering if you're for them? Listen, the currency of marriage is trust through all three of them. And so these things Lindy was talking about practically, it's because they build trust. They don't have to wonder. You're protecting their weaknesses. And does your spouse feel safe even when you see the flaws in their bodies, emotions, or spiritual Lives.
summarizing all that up, putting all three of those perspectives together, marriage means that we are intimate allies on mission, a productive mission. You're intimate allies on mission. Father, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, resurrect all the dead places. Jesus, forgive all the sin. Jesus, save all the lost. And perhaps maybe one person here tonight has never tasted grace. And may they just see the picture of you wrapping your arms around you, protecting their back. Father, they feel exposed because they know they're guilty. They know they're condemned. They know they're a sinner. And help them to see maybe more clearly than ever, maybe for the first time, that Jesus sees all their sin. And he stepped in the path of judgment and wrath and took it in their place so that he could hear Jesus say, It is finished. And they can walk out of here tonight for fully forgiven for the first time. Do that, Lord. If that's you, come find one of the elders or us. We'd love to talk with you and share with you about how gracious and kind God is towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.